broadcasting from Mount Pleasant, Utah. This is the Sampete Horse Training Podcast. Sampete Horse Training's mission statement is simple, to send home a respectful, well-rounded, and well-broke horse that can handle a variety of situations. This is Eric Dent from Sampete Horse Training. Today's podcast, we're going to talk about spooky or jumpy horses. We've got here with us today, Anna, one of our horse trainers. Hey, guys. And Carl, who is uh, a horse trainer as well as managing our horse training operations. Hello, everybody. Okay, so uh, let's talk a little bit about the topic of horses that are spooky or jumpy. Have we seen any of these here in our company? Only a few every day. <laughs> every single time we ride. It's kind of crazy how, how uh, common this is. So why? Like, why Why are horses spooky? Why are they jumpy? What's What's the big deal in a horse's mind? Well, I mean, horses are prey animals, so um, their whole mind works. About, you know, how their mind works is they're constantly trying to fend for their life. And so their every, every movement, every thought of the day is kind of like, how can I survive? Uh, and so the little things that make them jump, they're just trying to trying to continue on living yeah their thought process is totally just direct to fight and flight it's to us we see a little plastic bag but to them they see a six foot mountain lion that's going to jump on top of their back and do all sorts of things that they don't want to deal with so we get comments all the time when people bring horses into us that this horse has been abused or beaten or it's you know had a really really bad uh, past why is it, do you guys think that sometimes that is just flat out not true? Well, I think that we talk a lot about how horses learn from the release of pressure. So if they have a little plastic bag that flies past them when they're in their corral once, and then it just flies away and they jump six feet in the air when it went past, they learned at that moment to jump every time they hear a little noise that sounds anything like that. So it, it starts that habit and they just start going into that and that's how they start reacting to every little thing around them yeah I think it's it's instinct so even if you do have a horse that you know 100% just positive has a uh, has a passive abuse treating them normal um, still brings out their natural instinct it's not you know it might be more learned behavior um, but horses still while, while they are flighty they're also uh, horses that will fight and so a lot of times when there's abuse, I don't think it's always a, a flight response. Um, they also fight too. Uh, and so a lot of the times it's more just they're learning from the release of pressure. We had a horse that just went home this past week that was extremely head shy. <clears throat> and this horse had, to our knowledge and the previous owner's knowledge, never been beaten, had never had any sort of problems with abuse up around his head. So what gives? Why, like, how did that happen? Well, chances are someone went up to go uh, touch his ears or something even moved near his ears and he didn't like it. So he jerked his head away and then that action um, resulted in, you know, a release of pressure. And so he understood that, you know, he doesn't really care to have anything touching his ears or up by his head. And so if he jerks away and is a little dramatic about it, uh, he's going to get the result he wants. And that's kind of all he's ever really known. Um and so the more release, the more they understand it's the correct answer. And I think the more dramatic they're going to act with it. 
What about the, we've got one Mustang right now that had this tendency, come straight off the desert, never had a single human interaction really, other than probably being branded. And he was head shy from the very first moment that we were able to get the halter on him. So what do you think about that, Carl? How could a horse that's never been touched before be head shy? Well, it could be kind of like what I was saying earlier. There's maybe a bird flew past his ear and he flinched a little bit when that happened. It could be any number of things that when he was out and it snowed for a first time and snow fell down from a branch and landed on his head and he took off running. It could be any number of natural causes because we know for a fact he was never beaten. He'd never been touched when he came to us. So it could be any number of natural causes, just little things that, just like Anna said, make them spook just a little bit. And they learn that at that moment, that if they run, they can get away from that. If they jerk their head away, it solves that problem. So that's what they think they can do once they come in with us and they get their first human interaction. I think this concept is really important in that it really doesn't matter why your horse is acting the way they are as far as being spooky or jumpy. To fix it, it's always exactly the same thing. We're going to talk about that today. I just know that both from a veterinarian perspective, you know, seeing clients and horses coming in for various different problems over the years, as well as from a training perspective, it's always a natural tendency for people to think that their horses have been abused. But the reality is the vast majority of these behaviors are just a horse being a horse. And it is fixed in exactly the same way. Horses um, are going to spook at stuff. They're going to be worried about stuff. They're going to be, they're going to shy away from things. And that's what mother nature tells them to do. It, you can't automatically assume that something bad has happened in their, in their past. So let's talk a little bit about, um, when horses spook under saddle. So you're riding a horse and you're riding along and something really freaks them out. First of all, what is the, what is the typical reaction? What does a horse typically do when they spook when you're riding them? What, what, what actually occurs in that scenario? And a lot of times they will jump pretty hard. Um, and not, it's not really common that they will like run away, but I think they'll jump really hard and then side pass away from it really quickly. And that's kind of, you know, sometimes you'll see it, you'll see it coming and sometimes you don't, but the more you work with them and the more uh, you train with them and the more, you know, you spend time working on these things, the less it's going to happen. So Carl, what do you do when they do this? What's the best way to keep your own safety as well as the horse's safety, um, as being kind of a paramount thing. What, what's, what's the next reaction? They jump sideways, they, they side pass or really spook hard, go one direction. What do you do next? We bring their head around the other way. We go immediately into a one rein stop and then we go, we have to take, take measures to figure out what it was exactly that spooked them. And then we get to do, then we can sit and go back and forth doing rollbacks on whatever it was, if it was a fence or if it was a leaky hydrant we go back and forth but the biggest thing we have to do at that very moment is get them shut down and make it so they're not moving their feet make it so they can't run away with you they can't do anything that could put you or the horse in danger so this idea of a one rein stop is just so critical um you know a lot of people have been hurt because a horse spooks and, and runs out from underneath them or they start running um, sometimes even start bucking and if you can't get their head around, then that usually ends up badly. So 
we always use the analogy that a one rein stop is basically the same thing as an emergency brake on your horse. And it's pretty amazing when you teach them how to do this, even when they're very, very afraid, you can still get them shut down very quickly. So what do you do in an instance where you're riding, say, on a trail and you've got, um, you've got a drop, say, a drop off to your left and, you know, kind of a hill to your right? In that situation, you probably can't really do much for one rain stop if they spook. So what are some preventative measures you can take to make sure that you stay safe in a situation like this? Um, so I actually had this happen with um, a colt that we were working with. And it was kind of a funny instance because I was with another trainer and they were riding um, a horse that wasn't training but was about 17 years old. And co compared to the two-year-old I was riding, was supposed to be very, very experienced, you know, just like a tune-up. And we were riding uh, up, uh, you know, in the back country and we were on a ridge. So it was, I'd say in this instance, it was drop-offs to both sides. Um and a tree cracked really loud and fell. And um, so I couldn't really do one rain stop, but the horse had already kind of learned to sit, uh, to stop off my seat. And so they got, she got a kind of a few jumps on me and then I just sat hard in the seat and she stopped. Um, and she was just trembling. Like she was trembling pretty hard, but uh, she'd had a lot of experience with, uh, desensitization to scary things beforehand and knowing that, um, you know, doing what she was asked to do and just standing there that it was going to go away. Um, and I'm not really sure what happened with the other trainer because they, they went a few strides and around the corner and I didn't see him anymore. So, <laughs> but I know that in my instance, that was really nice to have that they had already kind of experienced this kind of stimulation in other and other training aspects where it was much more safer, that it was a good experience overall. So I had this happen a couple years ago up on the uh, Big Springs Trail at Vivian Park in Pearl Canyon in central Utah. And I was riding a, a two-year-old stallion that had about probably 20 rides, 15, 20 rides on him. And I was following another horse. This was the first ride outside of the arena or kind of on the mountain. And we're riding along, and there was a, a, a roughed grouse that jumped out right underneath the right side of his body. So drop-off was to the left, the hill up to the right, you know, and the trail was relatively flat going along the side of the mountain. And this grouse jumped out on the right-hand side. And, um, you know, instinctively, without really even thinking about it, I, I jumped off the left side or off the right side of the horse as he jumped off of the trail. And he didn't end up rolling to the bottom, but he made it down a little ways. And if I had been still on the horse, I probably would have broken my leg at least. Um, and so that's something that you can certainly keep in mind is always have that plan of, I like to call it defensive riding, kind of like defensive driving. Like you're in this situation, what are you going to do if something happens? And in that instance, I had already formulated in my mind what was going to occur and when it did occur, it was second nature for me to jump off that one side of the horse instead of being on the downside where I'd get hurt. And so one rain stops work 99% of the time, but you may occasionally find yourself in a situation like this where you just need to get off the horse to be safe. So Carl, you mentioned just a little bit earlier. So after they spook, um, you do the one rain stop, stop, you get them shut down to the point where, you know, you've kind of stopped that momentum. But then you mentioned a little bit about, uh, 
working them around the object. So why don't you explain a little bit about the psychology of why this works, and maybe you guys could give some examples of of horses that you've done this with, and and uh, and how that how it works to get them over the spooky object. All right, so it's really just the same concept that we we go through with any training that when the horse does what we're asking them to do we release the pressure and they and they get to relax but this time we were doing it like one example is i had a horse spook really bad around a leaky hydrant and he bolted on me and so afterwards we sat and we went around that leaky hydrant i'd loped him back and forth on the hydrant for about 15 minutes until he was loping right next to it and as soon as he did that, I let him sit and rest. And he realized that if he stayed close to this, if he was willing to get closer to the thing that had been spooking him before, he realized that, first of all, that it wasn't really scary. It was letting out just a little bit of a stream of water that didn't wasn't going to cause any problems. And second, that he got to rest there. He got to take a break from moving his free feet from going from really working hard to all of a sudden taking a break and relaxing for a while. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And I noticed that a lot of the times the horses are uh, scared of, say, water at the beginning or like a puddle or something. And so uh, you're taking their mind and actually redirecting it to something else so that they're not even thinking about it. Um, And so, you know, they're trotting in circles or they're loping back and forth and then their foot actually goes into the water and they didn't even really notice it. And then they're kind of like, oh, that wasn't that bad. Um, Yeah. And like Carl said, you know, and then giving them a release too. And you, you know, you'll find that the more you do this with your horse, I know that I, that two-year-old Colt, she, uh, every time there was something that was kind of spooky, she would almost look at it and then walk to it and stand by it. And I think that was just a direct result of uh, she'd experienced fear in a lot of instances and knew kind of what was going to come. And so she just automatically was like, I'm just going to go and stand by it because this is the answer. Um, It's really just taking their their mind and redirecting it. I mean, the first thing that we all want to do is let them sit there and stare at it and figure it out. But really, it's almost like their imagination just keeps running wild. You've got to kind of... Uh, flip a switch in their brain and get them thinking about something else um, just so that they're a little bit calmer and they're actually using that side of their brain. It's always been interesting to me that the more you try to get the horse to go by the object, the more they resist that. So you can picture in your mind's eye, you know, they say they spook at a garbage can along the side of the road and then people face them towards the garbage can and sit there and prod them in the, with their heels on their, you know, their flanks or whatever to try to get them to walk up towards that garbage can. And the more that you try to do that, the more the horse does not want to do that. That's more of a predator type of a, of a you know, a way of thinking about things. So if, instead, if you go and redirect their mind and their feet around the object, they eventually start to forget about the object, and then you can get them very close to it. It seems like the natural tendency of people is to always try to force the horse to go, you know, up to the object. And that's exactly what a horse has been taught by Mother Nature not to do. And so this is really, really big. It seems kind of weird if you think about it to begin with that it actually works because you're actually adding pressure to a situation where they're already worried. You know, you're asking them to move more. And at first that didn't really make a lot of sense to me, but, but once you get them in the frame of mind of, 
okay, now they're working and now they kind of want to rest, then all of a sudden it makes sense that when you release that pressure, then they're okay with the object and wanting to be close to it. So what are some of the most scary objects or the, the biggest, uh, you know, kind of dicey situations that you guys have been in as far as what horses are real consistently afraid of? Uh, mine are always birds, uh, peacocks or the geese, uh, just kind of un small, unpredictable, um, you know, moving objects, really. Uh, but something that has really helped with those, which uh, really has helped with everything, is getting them to follow them. It kind of builds their confidence. And that those are kind of a little bit harder to desensitize them to because you're not necessarily in a full control of, of the release. I know that... Uh, we had one uh, awesome, huge buckskin horse, and he was like the funnest horse to ride, but he was terrified of peacocks. And we kind of had a run-in with one, and it was kind of it was hard because the peacock kept coming after us, so it's kind of hard to get him to relax when uh, the peacock is uh, also trying to come after him at the same time. But I had to use a lot of movement, and it probably looked pretty funny because I was like yelling at the peacock and making it move and giving the horse the confidence by getting him to follow it and kind of chase it around. Um, so it was a, a pretty funny sight there in the middle of the road as we're like chasing a peacock around. But um, that also really gives them confidence. Uh, but I think that and then uh, traffic has always been one that you can expect it to be, but it's also really, I think it's always fixed in the very first time they're exposed to it. The same thing, they might be a little jumpy or maybe just a little worried. Um, and as soon as the car goes by, then you just kind of lope after it. And then they're usually good after that. But uh, I'm always prepared that, you know, they're going to have a harder time with those. For me, I would say that it's things like, I see it with animals. I see it with cattle when we're loping down on the dirt roads. And a cow sticks its head up and all of a sudden the horse I'm riding wants to turn and run as fast as she can the other way. I had this happen when I rode one of the horses we're working with outside the arena for the first time. And so we spent, well, my plan had been to ride her about outside the arena for about 20 minutes, but it ended up being about 40 minutes because we had to sit and lope back past the cattle. And we went past these cattle probably 50 times in 20 minutes to make sure that the next time she got ridden there, she wasn't going to be spooking at cattle. But aside from that, I would say it's, everyday objects to to us things like plastic bags like we mentioned earlier or tarps just things that make a lot of noise they things that have a bit of a crunch to them as soon as horses see movement and then they hear that they get they get pretty on edge and they start being spooked and wanting to get away from these things as fast as they can but then it's just like anna said it's getting them to follow these things when you start out like walking away from a horse when you're shaking a plastic bag because that gives that horse the the dynamic that it's dominant over this plastic bag because the plastic bag is trying to get away. And we can see the same thing with, with dogs when we're riding down the road. I had a dog just the other day who was following one of the Mustangs we were working with and it kept barking and spooking the Mustang a little bit. So I turned around with the Mustang and we followed the dog instead. And it was... It was really funny to see that as soon as we turned on that dog, the dog started running away. And that gained a ton of confidence for that Mustang. Because we passed about five more dogs that barked at us after that. And he didn't spook at a single one of them. That's a perfect example of why we train horses outside of the arena, too. They never gain that confidence unless they have that practice. 
I think there's probably quite a few people around Mount Pleasant, Utah, the town that we live in, that are really confused as to why our trainers are sitting there circling garbage cans and <laughs> stuff like that. But if they understood the psychology, it would make a lot more sense to them that, uh, you know, there's a reason why we're doing these weird behaviors with these horses we're training, and it's basically to get the horse to be okay around these objects. So how does uh, desensitizing maybe with groundwork before we start riding a horse, what does that have to do with anything to do with this whole idea of spooky and jumpy horses? Um, kind of like what I said before, I think it helps their uh, exercise their brain and uh, put them in these kind of mock situations before they actually occur and making sure that you're evening everything out when, when you're sensitizing them, that you're also desensitizing them and um, getting them used to that and that they're understanding the whole concept of what to do when something is scary. And it's just, it gains a lot of confidence and a lot of experience. It's always been kind of amazing to me how you can desensitize a horse on the ground to say like a plastic bag or a tarp. And that translates in their mind to the semi truck going down the road at 70 miles an hour. So what are some examples that you've seen of that, Carl, where maybe something you taught them on the ground, you can see it, it, its application with something totally different under saddle? Well, just like you said with plastic bags, there's that semi-truck sounds really similar to the horse to a plastic bag getting shaken. And a few other things, it's like we have, for example, we can take the, the stock whip and that can start, we desensitize the stock whip on the ground and that can start desensitizing to all sorts of things like um, an engine misfiring or uh, gunfire. These things that just loud cracks that come out of nowhere and that can help the horse realize because we have, there's a, a pretty big population of people who do mounted shooting down here in, in San Pete County. So it's something that is really good for the horses around here to help them to realize that one, when they hear that loud noise, they don't need to run away. When they hear that crack out of nowhere, it's not a sign that they need to run for their life. It's always kind of amazing how it doesn't have to even be the exact same sound or the exact same movement or anything like that. Desensitizing just makes them more calm general and that uh, it translates into all kinds of different things. So super, super important. Really, if you want to fix a spooking problem of a horse under saddle, the best thing to begin with is to go back to the groundwork and do lots of desensitizing to get them to where they're not as worried about stuff in general. So let's talk for a second here about the idea of making spooking or jumpiness worse based off of release of pressure, especially getting off of the horse and putting them away for the day. Um, so I'll give a quick example of this. One of the very first horses we trained was a roan mare that was about... Uh, probably three or four years at the time. And, and uh, I actually was riding this horse to work every day. And one day I come to work and there was a new horse in one of the stalls and, and it was kind of in the back of the stall. And we come around the corner and all of a sudden this horse ran to the front of the stall and it kind of spooked this mare that I was riding. But I was late to work and so I, you know, I let her have her little freak out moment and then I got off and, you know, tied her up, went to work. And then make a long story short, over the next few weeks, she got worse and worse and worse. So, Anna, why don't you explain to us why she was acting that way? 
Yeah, so it'd be, you know, we talk a lot about the release of pressure. Um, And so she uh, has something scary happen to her. And the way it went away was that uh, she was getting the release of pressure of you getting off and getting put back in a in a safe space with with you know feed and water um just that release really cements in her mind and it's going to transfer uh over to all the other times it's going to happen so what are some what are some other examples that you guys can think of where this real serious major release of pressure by getting off of the horse could actually lead to further spookiness and jumpiness in in a horse. I would say it's like a hypothetical situation that you're riding down the road and your horse spooks at something and then he bolts and you're not ready for it and you come off. And if you don't get back on the horse almost immediately or as fast as you can, that's going to give that horse, based off how long you're off of his back, that's giving them a release of pressure for anywhere from five seconds to maybe 20 minutes. And for that time, they're just sitting there thinking about how, first of all, they spooked at that thing. And second, it made you get off their back. So that's clicking in their mind that if they do that again, you're going to get off and then they're going to be able to just sit and do nothing. I think one example I can think of was I was doing a first dry on a call outside of the arena and I planned to go on the dirt roads and then just come up and uh, come right back to the the barn through a pasture. And while they were doing a lot of construction right there and just a lot of commotion and I felt like it was maybe a little too much for the first experience. And so um, I got off and then um, just led, you know, led the horse back. And, you know, he was good with everything, but it was kind of funny because then when I approached that same place, uh, days later when all the construction crew weren't there, he was kind of looking around for whatever was scary when he didn't even know what it was. Was he even scared of the construction at the first, you know, at the very first? Apparently not because he's looking for whatever was, you know, in his mind, scary that I had to get, you know, that I got off of. And so um, it's just, you know, in that case, it was like a bad move on my part because I was assuming that he was going to be nervous, so in that case, then he was, but he didn't even know why, and um, it took some work to get him used to that spot when there wasn't even any construction right there. Those are really great examples, and you know another thing to talk about with the, with regard to this real big major release of pressure is that you know doesn't mean that you need to stay on the horse if it's a super dangerous thing. Just means that if you do get off of them, you need to make sure that you're working them hard until they start to get back in that good frame of mind where they're a little more relaxed and, and thinking a little bit, and then you can release the pressure. So, you know, fixing that on the ground is perfectly acceptable. You just need to make sure that there's not a gap between when you get off and when you're actually working them. So we talked, both of you guys have, have uh, mentioned the idea of following a scary object or thing to help the horse to build confidence. So why don't you explain a little bit about why this works and maybe a few examples of where you've used this in the past and, 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 uh, it seemed to really build the confidence of, especially these young Colts as we're training them, you know, in the early days of their training. Yeah. Well, if you watch horses in a pasture, um, they have a pecking order and those that are dominant push other horses around, you know, you'll see if there's one pile of feed, 
and there's three horses, you know, the most dominant one is pushing the other horses away and uh, essentially, you know, kind of chasing them. Um, so it transfers over pretty well, I think, when, uh, like for one example, I had one uh, colt that we ran into a large herd of sheep on the mountain and he wasn't even necessarily spooking at them, but just very, very alert. And, and he was just curious too, because he'd take one step in and they'd, you know, shoot in all directions. Um, and so really pushing them around and, and following them around and we'd lope after him, um, was really, I felt instilling in his mind that he was like Carl said before, kind of dominant over them and just building the confidence that they weren't, you know, that they weren't going to eat him essentially. I think another really common place where we see this is with ATVs, with four-wheelers and motorcycles. Yeah. That if we're up on top of the mountain, sometimes we're on trails that are frequented not only by, by equestrians, but by four-wheeler riders. And we've had cases where we can sit and we can follow. We will lope after these four-wheelers until the horse calms down. And as soon as the horse calms down, we can take that moment to show the horse that they're dominant over this four-wheeler, that the four-wheeler is not going to turn around, open its massive jaws, and eat them. It's it's going to stay calm, and the horse can stay calm and realize that this situation isn't scary. That's a great example. I, what I always like to do with that is, is I actually will stop the the side-by-side, you know, operator or four-wheeler or motorcycle or whatever it is, and I ask them, I tell them, hey, we're, we're we're riding these colts for a horse training company, and and we need to get them some experience. We're wondering if you guys could could uh, ride like maybe 20 miles an hour up this road until we wave at you and then you can take off. And then what we do is they take, you know, they take off, we start following them, loping behind them. And then as soon as the horse is relaxed, we wave at the person and then they take off that way the release occurs when it should. And we've had a lot of really good luck with this. And, and honestly been very impressed how a lot of people have been willing to help us out with this. It's really helped a lot of the cults that we have, have trained. So, okay. So uh, what is, what does loping of horses have to do with reducing the amount of spookiness in a horse? Just general, making them lope. I think sometimes they feel like they uh, have to put all of their energy into actually loping and paying attention to that, and then they don't even have time to think about, you know, what is scary to them. Um, and I don't know, there's just something about loping that seems to bring out the thinking side of their mind quite a bit it's you know essentially moving their feet and um they're having to think and concentrate and they're tired and they're a little bit more concerned about um you know when they want to stop rather than what is spooking them Mm -hmm. and i totally agree i think if you look at it from from a human perspective too like loping for a horse is like an a an athlete running pretty dang quick. It's like an athlete running a mile in four and a half minutes. The horse is, the horse is getting pushed pretty hard. And just like Anna said, they're looking for a reason to stop. They're thinking about what will make them stop, what can get them a time to rest, what can release this. So they're not going to have to sit and lope for hours on end. They're going to look for the way that they can get to the rest. Instead of looking for the boogeyman behind the, the last fence <laughs> post. What about consistency of use? So one thing that's always kind of surprised me is we'll get these colts that come in and, you know, maybe, maybe we've put 30, 35, 
40 days on them. So they've been ridden like maybe 20 times or something. And with many, many, many of the horses we've trained, I actually put my daughter, who you know has been anywhere between the age of 10 to 12 during this time, I'll stick her on these horses. And to be honest, they're better than most of my horses at home. So what is it about consistency of use that makes a difference with spookiness and jumpiness of horses? I think the, the jumpiness and the spookiness is an, is an instinct and it's natural. Uh, and so it's something that you have to consistently work with to keep at a certain level. And so once the horse is, uh, you know, maybe, maybe turned out or with someone that isn't as confident and doesn't recognize the signs of proper release, um, then they automatically start to revert kind of back to that a state of mind. And so it's really important to be consistent with them and keep them uh, kind of reminding, you know, constantly reminding them that uh, nothing's going to kill them. So how consistent is consistent enough? I think that it really depends on each horse. Each horse is different. For us, as we do six days a week, at least we average an hour and a half a day on each and every horse. And on some horses, sometimes that pans out closer to two and a half hours a day. It all depends on the situation with the horse. But I think you can't go wrong with doing things daily. It's good to give the horse a break, but you definitely can't go wrong with working a horse as often as you can. Yeah, I think it's really important to do every day. I mean, even though we train six days a week, it's still like Monday morning. The horses are a little bit more reactive than uh, than they were on Saturday after five you know consecutive days. But I know that like even my my personal horse has had so much uh, work with desensitizing and is really good in that area even after a couple months off. Uh, even just leading them makes them a little spooky and and then they're a little jumpy and it doesn't take hardly any desensitizing to bring them back down to that level and remind them. Um, but it's still something that has to be consistent even the horses that, are, you know, considered so well broke. Uh, once when they're laid off, they're gonna kind of revert back a little bit, and so it's just really important to keep it consistent. Seems like everybody in the horse industry is looking for that horse that they can lay off for six months, and it's the quote unquote same horse when they get back on it. But I think that that's those horses are few and far between, and really, what's the point anyway? It's fun to ride. Yeah. Why take six months off? <laughs> so what about long, hard rides? So every once in a while, we'll get a horse that, even though we're riding them six days a week, an hour and a half a day, they're still just a little spooky. They're still just a little hot. They're still just a little bit jumpy around stuff that they really shouldn't be. So what effect do really super long, hard rides? And we're talking at least you know, more than three hours, more ideally seven, eight, nine, ten hours of, of, ride, of riding. What effect do these have on a horse as far as the, all the spookiness goes? I think it's just a really simple answer. Answer. I think it's just really humbling to them. Um, gives them, you know, a lot of experience. And sometimes it's a little shocking to them. I think that's one of the funnest parts is you're taking a, a colt or even just a horse that has only a couple, you know, hours as their max experience. And then you take them on a long, hard ride and it's been hours and hours and hours. And they're just kind of like, oh my gosh, what just happened? You know, and, and I've had 
a horse before where it's like it's like they knew as soon as we were going to go on a long hard ride it was like walk super slow conserve all of the energy like um it's just a really humbling experience for them i'm always amazed at how much they are capable of a lot of people think a two or three hour ride is is a long ride but Realistically, horses are capable of a lot more than we think that they're capable of. Um, I had an example of this a few years ago. Um, actually, that same horse I was talking about earlier, that roan mare, she she was a little bit on the, the edgier side, a lot more sensitive, very sometimes even a little bit hot. And uh, I remember getting really frustrated with her because I was doing a bunch of training. She was getting ridden real consistently, but she was still just spooking us stupid stuff. And so I finally, one day, I can still remember it was in October, and we went up on the mountain, left at about, it was probably three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And I rode until just, just past midnight, and it was a hard ride. We were up at high elevation, loping, probably loped her six, seven, eight miles, and then just a lot of up and down through real thick country, and, and part of it was in the dark. And by the time we got back to the truck, you know, her head was hanging pretty pretty hard and she was she was tired and i remember the it for about three or four weeks after that she was just a totally different horse so what examples do you guys have of, of similar experiences with horses that you've ridden i think taking them into the mountains for the very very first time like i've said a couple of times is they get tired in the arena and they get pretty sweaty and um out of air and everything but essentially it's at a flat, you know, it's all flat. They don't even really have to think or anything. And so taking them up into the mountains and really, um, like you'd said, getting them where it's a little bit higher elevation too, but just having to think about where they're putting their feet also, um, and just up and down and then a long, long time. And then they have a rest, like you might, you know, I've stopped for lunch or something and then they have had a rest and then they get back on and it's, you know, they're totally fine again. They just last a lot longer than uh, what people think. And I found that a lot of them get really, really sweaty and they're, they're breathing hard and then like a second wind kind of hits them and uh, then they're good after that. Um, but I just had a lot of experiences where uh, kind of, you know, that has helped with spooking is they don't really feel the need to kind of jump and run away because they really just want to conserve their energy um, and they're happy to do that. I had this experience here a few months ago where I was talking to a guy and he said, yeah, I've got this horse. He's really good, but I think I'm going to sell him because, um, he's really good. Like if I take my hat off, if I'm riding the horse and I take my hat off on the left side of his body, then he's fine. But if I take it off on the right side of the body, then he'll totally freak out and run off. And this kind of highlights our next topic, which is sensitizing a horse under saddle. So horses can become sensitized to what we're doing while we're in the saddle. And there are probably quite a few examples of this. So what are some of the examples you guys have seen where a horse starts to get afraid of something that you're doing while you're in the saddle that was actually developed inadvertently by, by the rider? Yeah, so the first example I can think of is part of the reins that we have. It's almost acts as like as acts as if it's a lead rope. And so you can kind of uh, whack them if you need it, need to. And so I'll be working with some, you know, colt that's really sticky footed and doesn't want to go. And I have to whack them to make them go. And, um, then they get the release of pressure off of that. And so then they understand, you know, 
all right, so if I, you know, if I feel or just squeeze, then I'm going to go. Um, but I've got to go back and almost desensitize them to that rope because then, you know, three months later, I, you know, I haven't had to whack them since they were young. And then three months later, um, I go to pick up the rope just to readjust it. And they're like, oh, this means run. And uh, they'll kind of take off. And so I've sensitized them to that so well, which is good, but I've got to go back uh, and get them used to that. And we even had one example with that same thing with one of the Mustangs we're working with right now. That, But it wasn't even necessarily the rope. It was just the motion of your hand. That you would just move your hand back and forth and the Mustang would start, he would start trying to take off on you. He, he, In his mind, he associated the movement of the hand, not the, the spanking of the end of the Makati rein. So he was, anytime he saw you move your hand back and forth from one side of the saddle to the other, he was taking that as a sign that he had to go faster. Perfect example of a horse anticipating the next move, isn't it? So what are some other things? There's lots of examples. I saw one. Anna, you remember that gray mare you were riding during the thunderstorm up on the mountain, and you tried to put your coat on? Yeah, so it started to rain, and I had my duster uh, tied behind the saddle. And so, I mean, it was at the you know, about halfway through a long ride. And so she was pretty calm. And so I just pulled it right off uh, and it, it made her jump pretty good. And so that was kind of the same thing as a lot of movement. She wasn't used to me being right there. And so, and it's kind of, it's kind of hard to put on a coat and desensitize them and stay on all at the same time. So that would have been something that would have been a little bit nicer to fix beforehand. Another one that I often have to remind myself to do is I, uh, like to get them so soft and responsive to my legs uh, that you just squeeze lightly and they go, or you, you know, um, push with this leg and they move away from it. Then um, they get pretty good with that. But then when you just want to sit there and talk to someone and then you readjust in your saddle, the horse isn't constantly like, oh, pressure, oh, okay, move. Like they've got to kind of figure out the difference um, between just standing there and just movement versus this is what I'm feeling and this is what it means, not just anything and everything means move. Carl, what do you think about horses that are afraid of uh, the touch of something like scrub oak or a tree brushing down the side of them as you're riding through some of the thick stuff? I think we, we run into that problem more often than I thought we would. And I think it happens even more specifically when I'm wearing my duster because then it makes more of a noise the same time but with them i think it's kind of like what anna was saying that they feel that pressure and it's kind of like you're squeezing in on them because they're feeling that pressure and they're trying to get away from it they think that that means to go faster so in that circumstance it's just going back and making them run into that scrub oak until they realize that the scrub oak isn't you they need to realize the difference between that that tree branch and the the heel of your spur so we talk all the time about desensitizing horses while we're riding them. So can you guys give us a few examples of how you might do this in some of the scenarios that we just discussed? One thing that I've done many times when I've been on a ride up on top of the mountain is anytime I get close enough to a tree that I can reach up and grab one of the branches, I'll, I can just sit and shake that branch. And when I shake that, it makes a noise and from time to time, it even gets low enough that it touches the horse on the head. So they get 
used to these things that they aren't anticipating touching them. They aren't anticipating that noise coming towards them. And you can do it consistently for a three-hour ride. And by the end of the ride, the horse isn't going to be spooked by that any longer. Yeah, I don't know. I like to uh, kind of make the people around me see how well their horses are. So, you know, I'll be riding during, we'll be riding during like a snowstorm and I'll get alongside a, a, a tree and scoop some snow off and then throw a snowball at someone. And so just like the motion of it um, and the movement on the horse and then, and just, just being able to kind of pull stuff off, like I'll pull branches off and kind of keep them in my hand and scratch them all over the horse and then toss them off. Just a lot of different, different movement that they get used to. So many different examples of this. You know, you can you can take a lariat with you and throw it back and forth, grab onto something and drag it behind you. You know, we've talked about the the whole coat thing. You can do that with all kinds of articles of clothing, like a hat. Um, we've noticed that a lot of horses are worried about the sound of tapping the helmet during the first ride that we do in the round pens. Our trainers almost always do that. You can grab back uh, by their tail head. And just kind of poke them around that area. You can grab your back cinch and jerk it up and down. You can use your latigo strap to kind of slap them on the side or your concho straps in your saddle. Um, I'm always pulling leaves off of trees and throwing them between their ears. There's just so many different things like that where it's almost like the more aggressive that you are in trying to scare them, the more dopey and kind of reasonable they become. And I think this is one big problem that people have. If you've got a spooky horse, you're probably being just a little too quiet while you're on top of them. Um, I can still remember a horse that we trained a couple years ago where a trainer dropped, it was kind of a shorter horse, but the trainer dropped a jacket on the ground. And then uh, he went over and, and basically leaned over, holding onto the saddle horn, leaned over and grabbed the jacket right off the ground. So he was basically off the horse, but still you know, a lot of weight on the one side. And that horse didn't know what to think about that. But th those are good examples of, of things that you should be doing just to try to get your horse used to stuff. Because the more sensitive they become when you're in the saddle, the more likely they are to spook at you or something that you're doing, and that can lead to problems. So, so what final parting thoughts do you guys have about keeping horses from becoming spooky or fixing it when they are? When it comes to the desensitizing part, I think a really important thing to remember is to pay attention to the uh, approaching part of desensitizing. Um, sometimes just the quickness and suddenness of, of the plastic bag coming at them um, is more so than the actual bag itself or the sound or what it looks like. It's just the fact that it's approaching them very quickly. And that really transfers over to uh, when a bunny jumps out you know, onto the trail. Um, and so I think even just approaching them quickly and making sure that, that the release is proper, that's always been something that has really made a big difference. Consistency. Just like Anna mentioned earlier with, with her personal horse, her horse was really good and he, she was really, really desensitized to all sorts of things. But when she would come back from pasture after a few months, it, you have to go right back to desensitizing. You have to do it consistently no matter what kind of horse you have it's something that you need to make sure that you're doing consistently because in the blink of an eye this can change a horse can all of a sudden decide that that little pop can on the side of the road is a rhinoceros that wants to run them over and so you got to pay attention you got to be consistent 
being as creative as possible, desensitizing to anything, to a plastic truck, to a garbage bag, to feed sacks, the stock whip, anything you can come up with. But I would say consistency is one of the biggest keys. Okay. Well, if, if anybody has any questions, feel free to give us a call or shoot us an email. We're happy to help you work through any issues that you're having with your horse. If you've got a horse that's just super, super spooky, we'd be happy to take it into training as well um, and run it through our program so that you can get a, a real nice horse at the end. Um, just as a reminder, we do have um, the Buy Mustang program. Uh, we have a, a couple of available slots right now. If anybody's interested, feel free to visit our website at sampehorse.com. With this program, we purchase a BLM Mustang and train it for 6 to 12 months. And when you get uh, this horse back, it is just totally, totally very, very well broke. We've got two horses that we're doing this with right now. We're probably, what, a couple, almost exactly a couple months into them now. Why don't you give us an update on, on uh, these two horses, both two-year-old Mustang Gildings that we've been training for two months, Carl? So these two Mustangs are probably the f horses I've had the most fun with training. And they, they're two very different horses, but we can definitely see a change. Like we mentioned, one of them has been very head shy. And we got to the point now that you can run right up to him and you can literally crouch over like you're trying to chase him and scare him. Run right up to his head and he'll just stand there and then you can sit and rub on his ears. You can stick your finger inside. You can do all sorts of things just from this desensitizing that we've done. You can stick your hand up between his ears from, from under saddle and he's fine with it now. And then the other one that we've got, he's had kind of the opposite problem that he's a little too comfortable with people. He'll get right up in your space and he's not very worried about it. And so we worked a lot with him to help him to be able to realize that he can come into our space when we invite him and He's done really well with it, and he, we now have lots of fun with both these horses, taking them on long rides, taking them through all sorts of terrain, climbing hills and dropping down things. And both of the, the two of these horses have probably come further in these two months than I could have ever imagined, that they went from not being able to, to be consistently touched to, at this point, that you can lay on top of them without a saddle and both of them are totally fine with it. I think most people would think that these horses have been trained for at least six, seven, eight months. But at this point, if they watch how much progress we've made on them, it's been kind of fun to, to see. So what are some of the experiences you've had with them? We had an Instagram post the other day that was viewed by like 7,000 people. <laughs> Why don't you tell us about a couple of the experiences that you've had with these horses? Yeah, so that Instagram post was, well, it was... One of the, this horse, he'd been having, he liked to go. He, he'd gotten pretty hot and he really liked, liked to move. So I decided that what I was going to do was going to ride him through the snow and go find my Christmas tree. So I rode him up the canyon through about two feet of snow until I found the tree I wanted. And then he got to drag it back to the trailer for about four miles. So we had a whole lot of fun with that. And we do, we do all sorts of things like that, dragging him through there we've had lots of experiences with deer with both of these mustangs that we'll be riding along and all of a sudden i look to my left and there's a deer 10 yards away from us that we can sit and follow for a little bit to help them just give them another experience and i've had experiences like 
like that with both of these horses just riding around in all sorts of different terrain. It's been fun to watch their progress. Okay, and then why don't you tell us just a little bit? We we do have a horse that's been in training for probably right around 90 to 100 days now. Um, we purchased him as a two-year-old gilding. Um, and why don't, you, why don't you tell us a little bit about him? He's for sale. If anybody's interested, they can contact us. Um, tell us a little bit about this horse. So just like you said, he's a two-year-old gelding. And he's he's a really nice horse. I don't think I've ever ridden a horse that's willing to go as much as he is. I have tried and tried and tried to find a hill that this horse will not climb. And I've been unsuccessful every single time. He climbed 400 yards up a, a really steep face only to go over about a two foot, a, a two foot rock face. He stepped right over it at the end. And he's just doing this with his head down, consistent as can be going through everything. He's a horse that just really loves to work. And he's actually come a long way in, in even the training I've done with him that he's gotten to the point where he's really soft and he responds to all of your cues. He'll, he'll go right off your squeeze if you're asking him to lope. And he'll lope really consistently. He's a really smooth horse that when you're loping, it's almost like you're not moving at all. So I would say this horse is probably 14-2, uh, 14-3. He should probably mature out at probably 15 to 15-1. Um, he's put on about 300 pounds in the last couple of months. He's, he's grown quite a bit. Um, but he's going to be a real nice horse. Not real huge, not real small, just kind of in the middle. Um, and as far as his temperament goes, he's, he's not lazy, but he's not crazy. He's just kind of right in that middle ground, which is perfect um, for most people. So if you're interested in him, feel free to give us a call. Phone number is 435-462-1311, or you can email us at info at sampetehorse.com. And feel free to check out our website at sampetehorse.com. Well, until next time, I hope you guys enjoy your horses. All right, we'll see you. Have a good one.